Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Agile Ideas, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we get started, I'd just like to say for anyone out there not having a good day, please know that there is help out there. In today's podcast, I wanted to share with you a little bit more about the AMO method. I've been talking about this passionately for the last three three to four years, really, since the establishment of our Agile Management Office. Now, the purpose of this podcast is to share with you some insights on some of the frequently asked questions and also to help clarify, since the release of our white paper series, what exactly is the AMO method? Why does it matter? How does it apply to my business or to my role? What do I need to know? What are some of the key principles? And why do I need to think about governance and also the way that we implement and identify change? And so I thought that I would start off by sharing some information around the background of where the AMO method has come from and help people to understand why it's a concept that will help improve the way that you deliver change to customers, why it's applicable not only in projects but even in day-to-day running a business. So I thought that I would share a little bit about the background to give you a bit of a context. I've been working in this industry in the project management space in, in peripheral roles for the last 15 years. And during this time, I've worked across a number of different industries and organizations globally. And I found that as I proceeded to work in these industries and companies, I started to learn about how to improve the way that things were operating in the particular team or the role that I was performing. Now, that's nothing new. People do that all the time, well, most people anyway. But as I was going through and I spent a lot of time in banking and finance as well, and during that time, I started to look a little bit deeper into some of the problems that were occurring within the governance space, um, within the project management space, within the PMO space. And I started seeing some trends and I identified that there was things that were happening repeatedly and they weren't different um, across industries or across companies. Even though the companies themselves and the industries, they had completely different ecosystems. So I started to think a little bit further and I remember experimenting with a number of different ways of doing things. Ultimately, It was about trying to make sure that the customer was happy. The customer not only is the person who's going to receive the product or service, but when we're talking about internal teams within an organization, the customer is the other project managers or it's the executives that are receiving information um, and reporting. It's the, the people in the board that are actually making decisions on the future of the company. It's people that work within your immediate team. It's your line managers. It's the people that work for you, your stakeholders, your customers. They are everybody that is impacted by any way of what you are doing, whether it's by a direct role that you're performing or by something that's occurring within your team. So within this particular organization I I spent a long time in, I found that they were I guess, repeating and reinventing the wheel in the space around their projects and the way that project managers were engaged and re-engaged over and over again, being asked for the same information, being disrupted. And I felt that the way that this particular approach was happening wasn't down to a particular team. In fact, it was something that people were seeing happen, but I didn't seem like anybody wanted to do anything about it. It had me thinking, 
is this particular approach normal within one particular organization um, or is it actually something that's happening widespread? And this is where over the last three to four years as developing the AMO method and continuously refining it and changing it on the weekly basis, this isn't a method that you set up once and then you just let it rest and you just move on. And it's not like that. It's actually all immersive. It's something that I I and my team are living and breathing. And so I identified a need to scratch that itch and look further. And that is why I decided to go back and look at the history of project management and then compare that to the way that governance and project management offices were formed and how governance and and the supporting peripheral functions around projects were being take were taking place. And I knew that I had to dig deep because there's been a lot of evolution in project management. I don't think anyone would, would disagree with that statement. Although when thinking about the peripheral support functions, namely around project management offices, I feel that there was a complete lack of evolution in that space. Not to say there's none, but if you compare it to the history of project management as a practice, a lot of the project management office functions, which is the general term used for governance in projects, was actually lacking and, and if anything, really just embedded within project management, the practice. And so I started to think about why is it that constantly there's these functions that are being set up and closed down and set up again? Why is there, you know, a complete cycle of um, people in these roles coming and going constantly? And I was one of those people. And I found that there was a rigidity in the way that the processes and procedures of some organisations were stifling the creativity of project managers. I felt as though in some instances there was more sort of hurdles being put in front of project managers rather than enabling them to be successful. I felt that as, you know, the, the rise of Agile continues to grow, that many of these particular organisations um, and many peers in my industry were finding themselves now coming to a position where they had to understand and identify how to implement new ways of working when it comes to Agile in their day-to-day. And so I feel as though the, the many, re- many reasons why this peripheral supporting functions that sit around a project around the project management function. I call it the project management framework. Effectively, the, the the supporting functions, be it people, processes, tools, products, et cetera, they are often very, very much locked down and changing them midway through a project or a program because of a change in the road or identifying that there is a fork in the road, a hurdle, a roadblock, something is almost impossible in some organisations to make change. And I identified this firsthand when I was working within an organisation where we had to uh, change the way we did things to support uh, a more international um, program of work. And we found that we weren't able to tell other or other countries how to do their jobs. But what we could do is look at how we took the best of what they did and brought it brought it in to the best of what we were doing and made it work for the customer. So when I think about the issues that um, that occur in this space, 
those particular issues themselves do not do not only apply in the governance space but actually apply to everything that touches governance and governance is the word i'm using but it can in your organization it could be um you know support it could be the compliance space anything that touches projects that is some form of control so i think that one of the things that i realized is that there needed to be a more flexible pragmatic proactive way of identifying change any type of change change that impacts any uh, part of a project whether it's uh, implementing change to support projects whether it's identifying changes that are going to improve an organization any elements of um, change and so the AMO method when it was developed really started off being being thought about in the PMO space but what I found is over the last three or four years, as I've continued to apply it, I've now been able to see it and its, and its application in practice, in reality, not only in our small business, you know, a really small business with less than 10 people at present, but also in the work that we do with clients that doesn't even relate to a specific project, but rather relates to their HR department or relates to the way that government governance is done in government, for example. And so I realized there was actually a lot more applications for it. And this is where I decided to take that, um, take that approach and actually start to investigate how it could apply to entry-level uh, future project practitioners. And I did that by looking at the partnership with Aarhus University in Denmark and actually um, applying some of the AMO method into the international project management course to really test out whether or not the AMO method is something that can be applied at every level of an organization being a small business or within a large enterprise or whether it could be applicable to people that were just starting out in the project management space and ultimately I found that that's exactly what happened. It it meant that when the students went into their exams um, in January earlier this month, they started to talk about the AMO method and how they would apply it to um, bring a greater focus to their customers and implement the amount of governance necessary rather than a, a level of governance mandated. So what are some of the things that are really Um, stand out when we talk about the AMO method is it's an agile solution. But when I talk about agile, I'm talking about agility, agility that increases productivity and compliance across a business. How? Because it identifies change that's needed and then progressively implements it in an interactive way with stakeholders. So we're not not saying that um, when you apply the AMO method, in your organization or your business that you have all the answers. No, but it's the approach that you take to understand where to get the answers, how to bring those together, how to then manage, track, record, put them into an approach that enables you to then roll out and using that approach to integrate with your stakeholders is fundamentally what we're trying to do here. We're bringing together um, gaps in organizations where we've got you know, traditional approaches and then more modern approaches. We're looking at removing the rigidity around um, frameworks that have been quite rigid in nature from the very outset. Frameworks that have been set up, you know, many years ago and then they don't really change or barely evolve. We're looking at how we bridge the gap between the 
disconnect of governance and delivery practices across an enterprise and preventing those organizations um, from being able to proactively respond to the environment around them. So we're doing a little bit of all of that. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is shift the stance from one size fits all because there isn't one governance approach or function that enables us to utilize a specific tool set, specific documentation, specific governance structures, etc., etc. The key is to select what is necessary based on relevancy. And this is why the AMO method enables you to do that. Yes, there's a toolkit. Yes, there's processes. Yes, there's procedures. But ultimately, how you choose to apply that is up to you. What are some of the key things that you need to know that, by contrast, differentiate from other governance functions or other governance approaches? Well, an AMO always starts and ends with the customer in mind. It's about co-designing from uh, co-designing with the customer from start to finish. There is no um, AMO function that works independent of its customers. It always, always partners and co-designs. And we do that using specific tools and techniques and approaches. And these are agreed up front with the customer. And we basically use those and we change them throughout the course of the project or the implementation as necessary. But fundamentally, it starts and ends with the customer. The AMO also starts with an executive. So in some organizations, larger organizations, they like to um, look at implementing an AMO as a function. Now, it doesn't matter what you call it, but ultimately using the AMO method to um, bring in a new function, whether you're running a transformation program, you're running a remediation program, or you're starting a particular um, new stream in the business, you can bring in an AMO to, uh, to basically bring together and bridge those gaps and help to implement a structural foundation that is um, flexible with your changing business needs. And so in order to achieve that, we must start with with an executive. We cannot go about um, application of AMO method or any aspects of an AMO without executives senior enough to endorse, support and fund this particular approach. And so the executives are the ones who put their money on the line and so they want to be want it to be successful and therefore are more likely to be engaged and involved. And that's definitely what we've been seeing now over the last three years. Additionally, the AMO as a function uses the AMO method to build out that function. So whether we're starting, we're starting a particular new department, whether you're starting a small business or whether you are just... Um, you know, reinventing the way that you are functioning because you know you need to modify or modernize the way that you're working. Using the AMO method, regardless of what you want to call your function, um, enables you to do that by building you and helping you to embed a framework that is going to support the way that you run projects and the way that you run that particular function. It, it, it's the only thing that remains consistent regardless of changes in resourcing. It's being built not around a personal preference or an individual, but it's being built around a a collective desire and a collective need. And so despite changes in resourcing, which is so frequent um, in in organisations, regardless of what country you're in and regardless of what industry, but the framework that you build for your organisation, 
using the AMO method is the thing that remains constant and having that constant sort of, I guess, um, pillar in your organization helps you to, I guess, reduce friction and also um, drive change in a way that's going to enable you to focus on the bigger picture and not worry about the day-to-day lower level, you know, issues that usually rise from changing governance. And then the AMO approach as well also enables a personalized governance approach that doesn't change every single time, you know, project management needs to change. So just because we have um, some organizations moving to new ways of working, some of them are introducing agile, um, agile at scale and particular methodologies and whatnot around that. Well, the AMO approach doesn't, uh, it doesn't, doesn't dictate what methodology to use. It doesn't say that everything in the function or when using the method to build out your function needs to change because it is adaptable, which means it's less disruption for PMs and for stakeholders. One of the common misconceptions around the AMO method is that introducing it within your organization or within a team means that you um, are replacing, you know, PMBOK or PRINCE2 or SAFE or one of the methodologies that may exist in the organisation, even if you have a a hybrid version of that and so it doesn't have the same name. It's got a unique name that's unique to your organisation. The AMO method does not replace a methodology that you're using for project management. It actually supports it. So um, the AMO method can integrate with any methodology because the whole objective of it, as I mentioned earlier, is to increase productivity and compliance and bring bring about the changes needed and then support progressively implementing those changes in an interactive way with your stakeholders. And so just because you have um, you know, methodology in place or you've got a function in place or whatever it is that you might have at the moment, that doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to stop or change or it's going to be replaced or it's going to be disruptive. And so that is one of the common misconceptions. Um, And I'm here to let you know that it does actually um, accelerate and um, complement what you have as opposed to replace them. There are some instances of organisations who have, um, sorry, people in organisations who um, feel that the AMO or the AMO method is um, the same, the same as a PMO, or or it's and it's not. And it's funny because whenever I go into conversations and I get asked these questions, and I and I received an email literally last week asking similar questions. um, When you get into the detail and you start talking a little bit more about it. And this is why I wanted to do this podcast is off the back of some questions I've had recently, people realize that it's actually not the same as what's there. It's something new. It's something different, but it's something that is sustainable. It's something adaptable. It's flexible. And by introducing this particular approach to one client recently, um, we were able to see the client uh, incrementally improve the way that they did things and ultimately re-engage our, our team to actually support them over over a year, over a 12 month period um, and that support continues even into 2020. Now if you implement the AMO method within your department, let's say within your organization, your re-engagement might be other projects or other departments coming to you and actually asking you to help them improve the way that they do things. If you learn how to apply the AMO method within your organization, 
and you actually take the time to um, start to embed it slowly, slowly, you will find that your stakeholders in your organization are going to be just as happy. You don't need to engage our um, business to do the consulting work for you. That's not what this is about, but it's actually about learning the key principles that underpin the AMO method and actually using them to your advantage to embed um, a way of doing change that's consistent and supported by a lot more people within the organization. The change in, in sorry, the, the AMO itself um, does does support changes um, in approach and methodology and process and structure. Um, uh, l- late last year, we, w- we worked with a client and as a, po- as a result of the AMO method, we actually supported a complete um, organizational restructure within one division of this particular organization. Now, that's got nothing to do with the PMO or necessarily project management, but it actually was the same method that we used to bring about that change and to support that change and to run that change and execute it successfully. So there's a number of different ways of um, implementing the AMO method within your organization. And usually the best start is to look at the principles and see how you can apply them for yourself. And then if you need the support to learn how to do it and use practical examples, then I'm happy to answer any questions in that regard. But if you are working with your customers, bringing it back to what I said at the beginning, your customers are more than likely going to support and adopt it. So unlike traditional models where it's often not not uh, uh, sorry it's not done um, based on consensus, it's actually dictated by a particular management team or a person. This particular function and approach supports the customer. So if your customers change, then obviously you will change with it. But ultimately, it's about bringing together the fundamental principles um, of the AMO method and drive customer value. It helps you to solve problems quicker. It'll help you um, provide faster access to unique IP. It'll help you do value-add execution support, not just strategy. Um, it'll help you get it right the first time. One of the principles, uh, so one of the key elements of the AMO method is the guiding principles, and there's 12 of them. They are currently, um, they've been revised many, many times to get them to this point. So that was you know, identified many years ago, but they have been um, created with the customer's feedback. They've been created with lessons learned along the last three to four years and ultimately the last 15 years from when, um, you know, I started in this space. The 12 principles focus on centred around the customer, but they really are 12 ways uh, for you to drive significant um, value and value, the value proposition being also a return on investment for your customer and for the people that are sponsoring you as a function or as a person in your role. There is the ability to drive cohesiveness. It's an ability to improve productivity. It's an ability to demonstrate value proactively. It's about fostering an environment of continuous collaboration and coordination. It's an environment of iterative implementation. It's about reusing and recycling and delivering more with less. It's about delivering synergistic governance techniques and providing a frictionless working environment. I know that this all may sound too good to be true, but it works and it works because our customers are seeing it. We've seen it in our own immediate small business 
and we're actually seeing it with students that are working with us at a prestigious university in Denmark. So there's so much value that comes from applying this way of thinking to your business or to your team. And I'd love to tell you more about it. And I would be very happy if you were interested in reading our white paper series, but ultimately more happy if you would like to get in touch with me, you can do so in the show notes um, on this podcast episode, or you can do so via LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn and you can also email us at contact at agilemanagementoffice.com. So I hope that this particular podcast has been able to dispel, I guess, some of the uh, misconceptions, provide you some more insight and what the hell is AMO method, what it means and why it's applicable, not just to a particular team or a business or a PMO or a project, but an organization as well. It can be beneficial to any size, small size being 10 people uh, that, you know, we're so small right now and, and it's working well for us but also for really large ASX-listed uh, companies. So I hope that the information I've provided you today gives you a little bit more context and I'd be more than happy to answer any questions. So feel free to reach out, leave some comments. If you'd like to share this podcast, I'd be very grateful. Um, and always, as always, um, any feedback is helpful for not only myself but for our team to continuously improve and look at the way we're doing things. So thank you so much for listening today and I hope that you have an amazing week ahead. And for those listening from Australia, I hope you had a good Australia Day long weekend. Otherwise, uh, I wish you all well and I will see you, I will talk to you uh, very soon. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.